Hello. Today on the programme, highlights from the East of England Farming Conference and everyone's favourite topic. Then I don't see why we can't have an interim arrangement for a period of years while we negotiate a bespoke deal. It's in the interest of the EU to do that. Well, agriculture was always going to be the biggest single-affected industry out of the whole thing and we need to make sure that we get cut a fair deal. Nick joins us with the latest on the Sugar Beet campaign. Chris Spratt has your update from Open Fields. Well, this week's biggest feature on the market was, I suppose, really Thursday's High Court ruling stating that government can't trigger Article 50 on their own. And remember that old commercial about the book Fly Fishing by J.R. Hartley? Well, now it's farm fishing, a novel new idea to tackle food waste. Just call me J.R. Dunderdale. So I guess our weird and wonderful idea is to use an insect called the black soldier fly as a conversion catalyst to turn food waste into useful agricultural inputs. Sunday, November 6th, 2016. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Let's start with our agronomist, Sean Sparling, as the uh, colder conditions after such a mild September and October is bound to be having an effect on what you're doing out in the field. Sean, the uh, weather has certainly changed, hasn't it? Hi, November's here. Clocks go back, the frost start. There's an old phrase, um, old saying that used to be, if November ice will bear a duck, the rest of the winter's slush and muck. So we have to hold our breath that we don't get ice in November, which will bear a duck, because the nature of that statement is it's going to be a wet, mild winter. That's the last thing we need. We need it to be cold. We need it to be... um, to work well enough so that things like propizomide work in oilseed rape, and it's too warm, we'll start with oilseed rape. Far too warm for propizomide. We said last week at 30 centimetres it needs to be 8 degrees and falling. We're nowhere near that. You get one frost, everybody's charging out with propizomide. As I said last week, it will still work, but you lose 10% around that sort of percentage of efficacy and why would you want to lose any efficacy on propizomide so for me i'm holding off i'm getting fungicides on but with that frost that we've just had it got down to minus two in the countryside and that means that cereals are very very susceptible to scorch so if you've got herbicides to put on you really need to leave 24 hours clear of that frost so if the frost hit on tuesday evening you need wednesday evening to be free of frost before you go spray on Thursday. If a frost hits on Wednesday evening and again Thursday evening you need Friday evening to be free before you go on the Saturday. So you need to leave a full day clear of that frost otherwise the crop doesn't rebuild the wax layer, the lipid layer on the leaf and that's when you get uh, contact and scorch issues so these crops are very very sensitive at the moment, they've only just poked through the ground, they're under stress anyway so just be gentle with them. Once you get that night clear of a frost you can then, if it forecasts another, spray up until about three o'clock so that you're clear of that frost and don't start while there's rime on the leaf. So that's where we are with the housekeeping. Oilseed rape disease, the foamer has set off with a vengeance, we're finding a lot more foamer now, we're getting very close to the one plant in ten on a backward crop, one plant in five on a forward crop, so a fungicide with good foam activity needs to be brought in and the light leaf spot is just starting to show across the county so choose a fungicide which is capable of dealing with light leaf spot as well remember you don't get any curative action on light leaf spot you only get protection so now we're into a cooler period hopefully winter's on its way that means an application now should hold you in good stead. So just one fungicide this autumn for light leaf spot. Um, I can find cabbage stem flea beetle larvae in the stems on some of these oilseed rape crops. And though thankfully I've lost very little to cabbage stem flea beetle, there are an awful lot of people in the county who've lost a lot more. 
Moving on to cereals then, what was drilled early is through. The people who drilled last week on black grassland may well be kicking themselves a little bit because it's very obvious how much black grass has come in the last seven days. So, as I've said before, if it's dry enough to drill, it's dry enough to roll and you must spray. Don't procrastinate. Get it drilled, get it rolled, get it sprayed within three or four days if you possibly can because the closer you are to drilling, hence the closer you are to the black grass germinating, the more likely you are to get a good result on black grass. And remember you've got 240 grams of flufenicet is the maximum you can apply in one go. That's 0.6 of Liberator, it's 4 litres of Crystal, or it's one of the generics, or like a litre of Vigon. Don't overdo that, because you will build resistance so quickly by increasing how much flufenicet you're putting on, apart from being outside the law. And remember after six weeks you can put another 120 grams of flufenicet in there so things are looking good at the moment we're getting wheat in the ground there's still a lot of wheat to go in the ground on the dodgiest fields leave them till the spring if you don't get them in take the single farm payment and make a profit rather than force something in badly and regret it all year by spending all your money and getting nothing back because of the black grass that comes in it so it's winter's on its way and uh, jingle bells are a ringing some forecasters are saying it could be a harsh winter would you one what would be the ideal conditions for you um the ideal thing would be to the, for the forecasters to stop saying it's <laughs> going to be a hard winter because these are the same ones said it was going to be a hot dry summer the ideal winter is a cold frosty chill winter that we get plenty of frosts it mellows things down it stops the disease it stops the pest and it gives us an easy run into the spring but also of course without a hard winter the propizomide the carbetamide and all of the things we're using in oilseed rape for black grass they don't work properly they need cold so we fingers crossed for a good snowy Christmas and plenty of frost. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. On Thursday, the East of England Farming Conference took place at the East of England Showground. Brexit and its implications for farming were top of the agenda, as you might imagine. Among those speaking at the first session was George Dung, Chief Executive of the Tenant Farmers Association. He feels an interim deal is most likely to happen between the UK and the EU to begin with. I do, and and the reason why I see that is because we have this great repeal bill, which is supposedly going to write all of the EU legislation into UK law. That will include the trading framework within which we are operating. If the UK says to the EU, we will ensure to abide by all those trading rules, we will resource that trading uh, package, then I don't see why we can't have an interim arrangement for a period of years while we negotiate a bespoke deal. It's in the interest of the EU to do that because of the trade imbalances that we've got uh, with the EU. And it's also because no one's ever done this before. You know, no one's left the EU before and we are wanting to leave the family in a way which allows us to have fraternal relationships going forward. So I think there is scope within the negotiation to create an interim arrangement while we do something bespoke for the longer term. Whatever happens, we've got to get it right, haven't we, for, for farming for the, the UK? We have got to get it right. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot at stake, and it's not just about farming. And my concern is that the farming interests will be lower down the agenda than some of the other interests. There's also a concern that some of the uh, trade deals that the UK government might want to do on things like financial services may use farming as the trade-off for some of that access. Uh, So there's a lot to do in a short period of time, which is, again, why I think we'll have some interim arrangement uh, before we get a bespoke deal. It's not, we can all talk about what we'd like to see, but what, what do we think will be the ultimate outcome, do you think, for agriculture? Well, the ultimate outcome for agriculture, I, I'm encouraged that there appears to be a growing consensus 
that we can't simply strip away the support without putting something back in its place, that we need something to ensure that we can maintain the high standards that we desire for animal welfare, for environment, for water quality, for climate, that there isn't a race to the bottom, that we're creating resilient businesses. Uh, and if you talk to the environmental organisations, the animal welfare organisations and the farming organisations, there does appear to be a growing consensus to that extent. So th there's a lot of work to do um, uh, and we need to make sure we're making best use of that Brexit dividend. And what is the general feeling among tenant farmers? I know, you know obviously it's uncertainty, but what are they saying to you? Uh, well, I think our membership was probably split in much the same way as the country was in terms of uh, wishing to, to leave or, or remain. Uh, uh, they are clearly now in a position of saying they want a bit of leadership from their organisations to put in place a, a good plan for, for going forward. Um, so a certain amount of nervousness, um, but... There's a bit of a can-do attitude, and you know now the decision's been made. The feeling is we need to roll our sleeves up, negotiate this well, and leave well, so that uh, we have a good future. And the TFA generally, how are things going? Yeah, TFA. Uh, I've been in the in, in the seat as chief executive now for nearly 20 years. Um, there's always a range of challenges to deal with. Um, Short-term farm business tenancies continue to be a concern for us. If we want young people to get into the industry, they're going to have to have longer-term uh, uh, tenancies available to them so they can invest for the resilience of the future. Um, we're obviously looking at other ways that people come into the industry through share farming, contract farming, grazing licenses, and how we can help those individuals do the right deals for them and step up into, into the industry. So, yeah, the, 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 there's a great sense of the future is here for us to, to take but we need to make sure that we have the, the correct frameworks for people to run those businesses and it is those younger farmers that core to the future naturally but they're facing one of the biggest challenges now aren't they yeah I mean I, I think with the younger generation what I'm really encouraged about is the extent to which they understand the need to be plural in their economic activities so previously in generations gone by people were looking at farming as a way of making their entire living when I see the new members of our organization who are farming on farm business tenancies, they see that tenancy as a hub to a range of businesses that they're involved in. They're keen, they're enthusiastic, they're hardworking, they're driven, they've got um, a desire to take risk and, and to, to invest. Um, and yeah, they are our future. But we also need to bear in mind that we have a generation within our farming community that need to be able to retire with dignity. And there are people who are in situations where they haven't got the economic wherewithal to, to leave those businesses. So while we're creating the opportunities for new entrants, we need to do the right thing by those who need to leave as well. George Dunn of the TFA. Well, sharing the platform on that first session was Ed Ford, Vice Chairman of the Federation of Young Farmers. They've just published a survey looking at Brexit, and the feeling is mostly positive. It is a very challenging time, but it is very opportunistic as well. We've got to flip that comment on the head and find the opportunities out of Brexit which there are so many opportunities for young people. What, what, what are your members saying to you about you know, the uncertainty at the moment? I think there's a lot of excitement about it. Um, you know, we, we've been dealt the card we've been dealt and we've got to get on with it. And uh, you know, there's, there's a definite buzz about, um, about what's happening. Is, is there that buzz? Is it, is it not a difficult time to be getting into farming? It is an incredibly difficult time to be getting into farming. But, um, you know, we could see uh, opportunities come in the sector which haven't been there before, depending on what payment system we, we end up with, depending on what 
um, what rules there are, regulations, it could create huge opportunities for young people. I mean, we've just released our survey last week, um, which which a lot of work went into, and it's great to have the feedback from the, the membership, what we would call the grassroots membership, um, feeding into the officer team, um, because getting those views often is quite hard. But, you know, what with what with the survey and uh, the respondents, and the comments have been really positive as well. Um, no... Every, you know, we were, I don't know where we were number-wise on who voted in and who voted out, but there's a definite optimism with what's happening. I think that the, the pessimistic um, views very quickly disappeared after June the 25th. Yeah, it's kind of the, the vote has been cast, you know, it, the decision's been made. We've now got to make the best of it, and, and agriculture is going to be key to that, isn't it? Well, agriculture was always going to be the biggest single-affected industry out of the whole thing, um, and we need to make sure that we get cut a fair deal. Um, my biggest concern personally is uh, Europe are not going to want people to follow us, therefore they are going to cut us a harsh deal. Um, but that's, that's my view. Um, but you know, we've got to work closely with other young farmer organisations in Europe to make sure that we sort of know what's going to happen and we can plan, we can put procedures in place to prevent a big impact to the industry. Ed Ford of the Young Farmers. I'm Sean Dunderdale. Chris has your grain latest in a moment. First to British Sugar for an update on the campaign from Nick Morris. So we're now 33 days in and I can report the factory is going well and by 7 o'clock this morning we'll have processed 300,000 tonnes of sugar beet and are currently averaging a daily slice of 9,100 tonnes a day, so really pleasing. Beet supply is now very much more plentiful, I'm pleased to say. Harvesters have, have built some breathing space in front of lorries, which are clearing up behind them, and that's been helped in no small part by, it has to be said, very good weather conditions of late. We're very pleased with that. As ever, it's still really important uh, at this stage of the campaign that the time between harvesting and haulage is kept to a minimum, though. And Ideally, really, you're talking about sort of uh, three or four days. And that just maximises the time spent uh, growing in the field and minimises respiration losses once uh, tipped on the side of the field. So it's all about maximising recovered yield. So from the 22% of the contract that we've had delivered so far, the quality of the crop actually looks really encouraging. We've now had about 11,000 loads to date and the average dirt tear is 5.2% with a sugar content averaging 16.86%. And that's actually an increase of nearly half a percent since my last report two weeks ago. So it's climbing nicely and that's uh, really what we expect to see until the middle of November. We've uh, not many contracts finished so far. We've actually got about 14 um, and that have now finished delivering for this current season. And overall, their yield has been 70 tonnes a hectare, which is surprisingly good for firstly early harvested crops. You know, it's only just the beginning of November now. Um, but also following the uh, very difficult season we've had. So although it only represents a very small proportion of our crop, uh, it is uh, certainly still still encouraging. On the uh, on the podcast, we didn't do it on the program, but on the podcast two weeks ago, we we mentioned you were looking for for new growers. I believe you've had a a good response. I know you've been advertising it elsewhere as well. That's right, Sean. Yeah, and I'm really pleased to say that we've received a very positive response so far, and that will uh, will certainly result in sugar beet being grown on many new farms in 2017. So we'd still like to uh, hear from uh, from other potential new sugar beet growers and indeed existing growers that would like to grow a little bit more sugar beet next year. And this really is on the back of the sugar market looking a lot more positive and buoyant. Uh, for the 2017 season and as you know the new contract is um, 
constructed in a way that will share some of that positivity with uh, with growers as well. So if the sugar price is good, that will reflect be reflected in the sugar beet price. So if anybody would like to uh, look into that, please do get in touch with us. The best way is to call our agricultural help desk on 0870-240-2314 and they'll direct uh, one of our area managers to come out and discuss it with you personally. So on to next year's crop. Um, really, in terms of agronomy, now is the time just to uh, be preparing for next year's crop, starting with reviewing results from soil analysis, applying Limex to correct soil acidity, as well as base fertiliser, nutrition as and where required. It's a good chance just to have a look at and alleviate uh, any compacted areas, may- maybe some uh, areas which could do with some attention to the drainage, drain jetting perhaps. Um, as well as just getting on now to ploughing heavy land, uh, it's really, really important to get heavy land prepared nice and early so it has the chance to weather over the winter to help us produce those seed beds in the spring. While the drill might not be pulled out of the shed until uh, March, it's really important to get on the back of the tractor now and just to check it has been uh, serviced and maintained and actually we do drill performance testing via uh, third-party operators as, as growers will be well aware uh, so it's a really good opportunity to check things like uh, cell wheel wear um, ahead of ahead of next season, and also just consider lessons learned from uh, the 2016 season. You know, was your seed rate enough? Did you establish 100,000 plants a hectare? How is the weed control? Can we reduce our costs and indeed pest damage? Anything we can improve in that regard. But ultimately, it's time for us all to be considering what we, can we do now to make sure we deliver 80 tonnes per hectare next year. Nick Morris of British Sugar. On to Grey Men, and it is Chris Spratt with the information you need this week. Morning, Sean. Uh, well, this week's biggest feature on the market was, I suppose, really Thursday's High Court ruling stating that government can't trigger uh, Article 50 on their own. Parliament must take uh, a vote. So that's going to lead to much debate over the next few weeks, and it looks likely that might go to the Supreme Court ruling at the beginning of next month. Consequently, on the back of that, we saw sterling firm and initially saw two to three pounds off uh, off markets. So other than currency factors, not really a great deal of change. UK export-wise, well, although not a massive wheat export, uh, exportable surplus, uh, we still have got one and hence sterling's effect on prices. Uh, domestic consumers, well, they're relatively well covered in the nearby and any sign of the market easing from the recent highs will give them a bit of confidence to take a back seat. Uh, the French, well, they're still uh, uh, struggling. Uh, they don't appear to have any boats in their major port of Rouen uh, at the moment, either loading or, or nominated, and they do have an exportable surplus of about 10 million tonnes of wheat to move this uh, season, so we'll have to see. They may be keeping their powder dry. Uh, just looking a bit further afield, India, their domestic prices, they're 30% up since the start of the season, or their season back in April, and they'll be looking towards supplies from Australia when that harvest gets going, and uh, they've mainly been buying from the Ukraine to date, but India's import requirement this year comes from um, two, I suppose, in different monsoon seasons. Their stocks are getting towards the lower end of their minimum requirement, uh, and on the back of that, they've uh, reduced their import tariff from 30% down to 10%, and of course, the demands of a growing population. Um, But we shouldn't lose sight that India are the second largest wheat producer in the world, and this year's forecast is for somewhere between 86 to 90 million tonnes. Looking at Australia, their harvest, well, they're almost on the cusp of harvest now, but there is a bit of growing divergence on both the quality and the quantity of the expected crop, so that's going to be keenly watched over the next uh, couple of months. Domestically, feed barley discount to wheat has widened over the past few weeks, which should see some feed compounders maximise barley in their rations. 
uh, with a large tonnage of low bushel weight barley that may well disappear into fed on farm uh, on that sort of basis. So you can't help feel the UK barley shouldn't be far away from pricing itself in against other origins as far as export values are concerned if there were any demand and that is the problem at the moment. But of course you could argue our feed wheat prices aren't what is setting the base for, to judge barley discounts or prices against. It's the better, better quality feed wheats that are exp- being exported at the moment that are keeping the domestic levels where they are. So on the back of that we've actually got feed barley, the, the discount there looks uh, rather large and also on the flip side the milling premium uh, for full spec looks relatively small. All seed rape throughout the course of the week has seen continued support from lack of sellers coupled with good domestic man- uh, demand. Argentine, the soybean plantings, well, they're being delayed uh, in certain parts. Heavy rainfall, as much as uh, 50 to 100 millimetre a day, uh, is being reported in certain areas. But again, reports are variable in their degree. Conversely, in Brazil, uh, drilling is going there at record record pace. We've still got this delay regarding the Canadian all-seed rape harvest. Um, and, you know, there's up to 20% still in the fields out there. Beans. Frustrated buyers have had to pay a little bit more to secure supplies pre-Christmas with feed beans now worth 145x and better quality human consumption beans 160x. Beans generally haven't benefited from the rally we've seen in other commodities, but you know we have got a larger area of, of beans this season due to the greening rules. Um, so uh, it's slow work at the moment. As far as prices are concerned, feed wheat for November 133 to 135, with May 137 to 140. New crop for November, feed wheat X farm 134 to 136. Old crop feed barley for November 115 to 116, with malting premiums under pressure in the nearby, but a good carry for the forward months. Aussie rape for November 16, 343 to 345, but just a £4 carry to May 18. And then new crop, 312 to 313 for harvest, with an £8 carry to November 16. We do need to keep an eye out over currency fluctuations for the next week or so. Also the US presidential outcome on the 8th, and also there's a USDA report out next week, so plenty to keep an eye on. Thank you. Chris Spratt from Open Field. Back to the East of England farming conference then, and uh, looking at new ideas for agriculture was another of the sessions on Thursday, including one very novel idea from Entomics to tackle mounting food waste. Co-founder Matthew McLaren has told me more. Yeah, so I guess our sort of weird and wonderful idea is to use an insect called the black soldier fly as a conversion catalyst to turn food waste into useful agricultural inputs, um, specifically uh, high-protein um, aquaculture feed and also an organic fertiliser. As you touched on the with the, with the flies, how, how does that actually work? How will it work? <laughs> so, I mean, the concept is actually not new. It's, it's quite, you know, it's what you might think of as a worm farm in your backyard, but it's actually the, the black soldier fly larvae. So the worm form is, they're the ideal, I guess, food waste conversion engine. So they chew through food waste very rapidly. They reduce food waste by 95% over a 14-day growing cycle. And they essentially um, concentrate different, um, if you like, low-value and disparate sugars and carbohydrates in the food waste into high-value proteins and fats, which can then be used, again, as an aquaculture feed and also as as a fertiliser. Now, I can hear listeners already thinking, I don't want lots of flies... (laughs) 
just down the road from me, you know, yeah. looking after food waste. But that, that won't be the case, will it, you don't believe? No, I think we actually chose this specific species of insect, the black soldier fly, because the adult form, the, 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 the winged, if you like, form of the fly, um, it actually has no moving mouth parts, so it doesn't actually spread in disease as an adult, which is a big concern, obviously. And you look at house flies as an example of a species that does spread disease. And also, um, there's actually not that many flies required. So the larvae, again, you only need about two larvae out of every thousand to mature into adult flies to keep the population sustainable. So I think it's very manageable. It's, it's, low, it's lower risk than other species, and there's no reason why this can't be a really great sustainable alternative to other types of either livestock, other types of plant-based proteins. That's Matthew McLaren of Entomics, and uh, they're keen to hear from you if you'd like to help with the trial or indeed have other suggestions as well. You'll find them online. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Yeah, let's take a look at the uh, the weather then. Some uh, heavy rain through this morning. Should dry out later, though. Highs of 8 Celsius. A breezy day from the northwest. 20 gusting at 35 miles an hour for a time. Overnight tonight, dry and clear. Lows down to 3 Celsius. Could be a frost in more rural parts. That wind continuing more from the north, around uh, 10 miles an hour, but still gusting at 30 miles an hour through the early hours of tomorrow. Tomorrow itself, some more rain forecast. Not as heavy as today. Highs around 7 Celsius. That wind still from the north, northwest, 15, gusting at 20 miles an hour. And then overnight, Monday into Tuesday, um, possibility of a shower, but mostly dry, overcast. It will be a particularly cold night, though. Lows down to 1 Celsius, so expect a frost, icy conditions first thing on Tuesday. The wind from the northwest, generally around 8 to 10 miles an hour, gusting at 15 in places. Tuesday starts sunny, but uh, patchy cloud through the rest of the day. Should be dry, highs of 5 Celsius, so quite cold. Uh, the wind from the northwest, uh, between 8 and 10 miles an hour. And then overnight, Tuesday into Wednesday, a band of heavy rain likely to uh, drift over once again. We're looking at lows, 2 or 3 Celsius. Will feel particularly cold, though, with that heavy rain. And the wind, more from the south, 10 miles an hour, gusting at 30 miles an hour first thing on Wednesday. Wednesday itself, once that uh, heavy rain has drifted over, should be a mostly dry day, staying overcast though. Temperatures uh, around 7 Celsius the high, and the wind more from the west, northwest, 10, gusting at 25 miles an hour. And then for the latter end of the week, again, mixed bag really, some sunshine, but some heavy rain is also on the cards. We're looking at daytime highs of around 7 or 8 Celsius, overnight lows uh, of around 3 or 4 Celsius. And that's the forecast and uh, another week in the world of agriculture. Next week, we'll have a little more on that survey of young farmers. We'll hear from Lindsay Martin of the Young Farmers, fresh from a meeting she's had with DEFRA's George Eustace. We'll have that and, uh, of course, whatever else the week throws at us. Don't forget, if you've got something you think we should be covering, please do get in touch. You can email us through the website. Until next Sunday, have a good week's farming.